Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio my name is joe hughes or radio joe and here with me in the studio is my co-host the z-man cliff slotnick hey joe it's always a pleasure all right cliff and also as usual the cyber jockey cj zach slotnick hey joe how's it going excellent thank you today's show is uh, going to be a challenge to get in within an hour but we, we're going to do our best we've got bill yaden from john don up first then we've got a couple of commentaries, one from myself and one from Cliff. We've got Steve Sauer with the IEC What's News. We've got a, a special closing today for the Memorial Day weekend. We've got the Microband Trivia Challenge coming up first. Uh, before that, though, let's say thanks to our sponsors. Um, I think we're going to let Zach do the yes, honors today. Yeah, we would definitely like to take the time to thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial managed company at microbandsystems.com. We'd also like to thank Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. For the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. We'd also like to thank Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for, for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is the first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. And last but certainly not least, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Now, to contact the show, you can, you can contact us live by phone or text message. Simply go to www.talkshoe.com and, and follow the instructions to get your PIN number. Our show ID is 1547. We also have dial-in instructions available on our website at www.iaqradio.com. We also appreciate suggestions or will answer questions, take requests, if you email us at info at iaqtraining.com, as well as posting in our questions form at forums.iaqradio.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Cliff for the microband trivia question. Congratulations to Darren Hadima of Washington State, who quickly and successfully answered last week's two-part microband trivia question. The question was... What do Swiss cheese and global warming have in common? It's carbon dioxide. It's what causes the holes in Swiss cheese and also is a cause of global warming. The second question was, what cheese is forbidden to be sold on Sundays in Houston, Texas? That cheese is Limburger. The Microband Trivia question for Friday, May 25, 2007. Zach, the envelope, please. This famous marketing man whose father died when he was only three started his business career at six by selling newspapers. As a teenager, he helped his mom in an insurance agency. He founded a successful insurance company, was an author, made a noteworthy financial donation to Richard Nixon's presidential campaign, and celebrated his 100th birthday by donating $100,000 to a Midwestern university. Among the many honors bestowed upon him in his life are being named the Horatio Alger Distinguished American and a 30, being named a 33-degree Freemason. Name this man. Back to you, Joe. 
All right. Thank you, Cliff. Today's first guest is Mr. Bill Yaden. Bill started as the owner-operator of a cleaning and restoration company in St. Petersburg, Florida, back in 1976. In 1983, he joined Bain Clean as operations manager. In 86, Bill began training and helped develop the Bain Clean week-long school. He also began working with the Dalton, Georgia carpet manufacturing community. Since 2001, Bill has been the education director for John Don. Bill is a master textile restoration technician and is a technical advisor, chairman, and carpet division, or chairman of the carpet division, excuse me, for the IICRC, as well as the co-chair of the S100 Carpet Cleaning Standard Revision. He teaches, uh-oh, I might get in trouble here, the carpet, CCT. Carpet cleaning technician, <laughs> upholstery and fabric technician, water restoration technician, and applied structural drawing. Ooh, so close. Uh, <laughs> Bill's yeah. also marketing instructor for John Don's Strategies for Success program. Good afternoon, guys. Good. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, thanks for being here. We appreciate having you. We'd like to focus a little bit on marketing today, Bill. You're the the marketing man out there. And uh, first, let's get a little background on how you got interested in marketing and you know how you learned about the marketing uh, field. Well, I have to say that when I started in business myself, and I was just a small owner operator, I had a partner. You know, we learned all the things about carpet cleaning that we thought would make us successful, and pretty quickly realized that. Uh, having the world's best information for technical aspects really has nothing to do with making the phone ring. And so I started looking a little bit further, and it probably wasn't until about 1981. I think the first business book I read was probably Tom Peters' Search for Excellence. And I think that got me interested, and from there on I just kept kind of became a voracious reader, I guess you would say, of books having to do with marketing and management. What have been the most significant changes that you've seen since uh, beginning in the mid-70s all the way up until now? Uh, you've had all these other things happen. You know, the phone companies have gone from one big one to many, many ones. You've got deregulation of all kinds of industries. What are the other types of changes you've seen? Well, I think you, you hit the big one right there. You think back in 1984 when Judge Harold Green came in and broke up AT&T, what that did for us was it took the one Yellow Pages book that we all were in and kind of made it into several books. I think besides that, we also had Valpac that came on early in the uh, 80s, late 70s, and it was kind of an innovative tool at that point. Today, it's kind of like a big money drain if you want to look at it. But I'd have to say that what made it the real difference here over the last, say, 15 years has been the, the Internet and everything we can do on that and the way people are actually choosing service companies today. Hey, Bill, as a business traveler who travels a lot, I confess to scanning and sometimes mutilating yellow pages at the various hotels where I stay. What's amazing is that when I look at them, all the ads are the same. You know, if you look under uh, waste management, you see pictures of garbage trucks. If you look under carpet cleaning, you see pictures of trucks. Uh, I don't know. Uh, does this equate to successful advertising everyone kind of doing the same thing and all the ads kind of looking alike well i think you know that's you really hit on it and i do the same thing cliff i actually go to the hotel rooms and every time i'm in the first thing i do is i open up the carpet cleaning section rip out all the pages and take them with me because i want to show everybody you know no matter where you're at whether you're in chicago illinois or tupelo mississippi the ads look exactly the same and because they look the same how does the consumer really choose I think that's why they have to have so many ads, because they look at the first one, it looks like the second one, looks like the third one, and there's no innovation going through there. And I think part of that it has to do with the Yellow Pages reps really aren't, uh, they're not, they're, their talents are not in designing an ad, their talents are in upselling you more bigger ads. And it has nothing to do with the content. Bill, this commonality that we see 
does that mean that it's successful and that people don't need to do anything else? You know, if, if I buy a quarter page ad and I put my truck in there, uh, you know, does that mean that I'm going to be successfully advertising there? Well, you know, I think, it, and it doesn't matter just in the yellow pages. I think back to when I first started, we looked and there was a local TV section that was in the St. Petersburg Times. And we looked in there and every Sunday that would have probably a dozen carpet cleaning ads in that one little booklet. And so we thought, well, that's what everybody does, so it must work. As soon as you start subscribing to that theory, you know you're in trouble. Because once it does that, whether it's the Yellow Pages or these little TV guides or Valpac, everything being the same means that we'll choose on price and we all lose money. I want to talk about sex. Is marketing sexually? <laughs> you know, is, is Get mar- out. Wait, wait, wrong show, Cliff. Sorry. Uh, I want to be I, a shot. I like you. <laughs> you I know, just learned, did I dial into the wrong show? Right, right. <laughs> uh, is, sex, is marketing sexually unique? And when is marketing to men the same as marketing to women? And when is it different? And, you know, maybe as a follow-up, are there any hot buttons that, you know, work well with marketing to men, work well with marketing to women? Well, I think one of the biggest problems we have, and especially in the cleaning side of the business, is that we are definitely a male-dominated industry. And as males, we think uh, we are marketing to ourselves. In other words, we'll write an ad and we'll say, yeah, that's great, that's great. Well, look at that. i got my picture of my truck. I've got mag wheels on my truck. I've got a big truck, you know, and, and I'm going to really put the name of my equipment in that ad, too. And it has nothing to do with it. Women are so different in what the way they choose service businesses from the way they think men do. Every time I teach a class on marketing, I'll put some ads up on the screen, and the guys will sit there and go, well, I don't like that ad. I said, it really doesn't matter what you like because you are not your customer. You know, you've got to figure out what it is your customer wants and then write to that. And I think men and the average guy has no clue on how to write an ad that will actually attract a woman. And as you take it a step further, if you look at websites, which I think are huge today and a very necessary evil, if you look at the average person that's writing or designing a website, it's probably going to be a young guy. He's probably got purple hair and he's got a spike through his tongue. Now, how he understands what a 45-year-old woman wants is beyond me. You know, the other perfect story, earlier this week, uh, my wife Judy and I had to get a new charcoal grill. And I took my car, and we went to the hardware store, and we're looking for this charcoal grill, and I kind of had it already picked out. And uh, I I showed this grill to my wife, and she said, I like the one next to it better because it's prettier, you know, had like more stainless steel. <laughs> it was $100 more. Bill, guess which one we bought. <laughs> I know which one you got. <laughs> you know, every every time you pick up any article about women, they said that they they not only spend the majority of the money, but they also influence a little bit that they don't spend. They influence it, like 90% <laughs> of it. So, I mean, we they may say, I don't care, but let's face it, you've been married for a long time, so have I. Right. We understand that doesn't care has no reality to right it's like do i look good in this dress right (laughs) (laughs) we won't we won't even go that (laughs) well bill what do you recommend i mean we've got a lot of small business owners out there they can't afford to uh bring in you know professional people in many cases to help them with these ads they can't go out and do a market survey etc what what types of quick tips can we give people as far as writing ads that appeal to their customers well i think first off we got to understand once again our market which is women you know and we uh, have to understand what what are women's hot buttons but i think number one is that if we were to compare men and women and we could go on for this for about an hour but if we were just take a couple of the bullets women want the details they are actually looking for perfect men are always satisfied with good enough it's kind of like when you go to the store you go to the mall if I, either one of you guys, when you go to the mall, how long would it take you to buy a pair of slacks? Ten minutes, if that. Yeah. That would be, be parking and everything. Yeah. All right. Now, the, the same thing, a woman's going to go in and buy a pair of slacks. She'll go into the mall, and the first store she comes to, it may be the perfect pair, pair of slacks. She'll try them on. She'll say they look good. But you know what? There's four other stores in this mall that may have slacks, and there may be a pair that's better so they end up going to all four of those stores. They end up spending three hours, ending up buying five pairs of slacks, and it's a, it's a much bigger investment in time. We'll go in there and go, that's pretty close to what I want, so that's what I need. 
So when we're writing this ad, we've got to understand that women are going to think about what they need differently. Men are going to look always for the bullet points and then get quickly down to the bottom line. In other words, when you went in, Cliff, you went in and looked at that grill and said, yep, that's it. Judy's looking over there. She's looking at some other things. She's probably thinking a little bit more about some of the details of the grill and the fact that it's pretty. I mean, because it's always <laughs> got to be pretty, too. You know, and then they choose from it. So I think what we're looking at for, for guys writing ads, number one, we're looking that women are always caring about their families, number one. Men tend to care about themselves, number one. And I know that sounds selfish, but unfortunately, that's the way it is. So as we're looking at it, we've got to determine then, how do I write an ad that says to this woman that we're not only going to make your house, your carpet look pretty, you're going to make the, the house smell good, and we're going to make it in a healthier environment. We have to get all these things because what we're doing is we're creating a better environment for her family. The guys are just looking at basically, well, how much is this going to cost? And I mean, that's really what it comes down to. If you had to choose uh, carpet cleaning, if men were the guys that actually called in, we would probably need about three companies in any city because most guys figure, you know, well, you know, I've got a leaf blower. I can just open up the front door and kind of use that, blow out anything that I need to, and I'm ready to go. Bill, what is the provider of carpet cleaning services really selling to this woman? Is it fresh-smelling clean carpet, or is it embarrassment insurance? You know, people are willing to live in a dirty home, but they don't want their other neighbors or friends to see it. Well, you know, yeah, I, I actually think, Cliff, I think you're right on both targets there. When I lived in Florida, of course, you know, you got everybody who wants to come down and visit you when you live in Florida. <laughs> so I would find, you know, that these people, their carpet will look just horrid. You know, you got that, that big stain right in the middle of the living room, and it's been there for the last six months, but all of a sudden they find out their mother-in-law is coming down for a visit in November, and now it's become an emergency situation, and we have to get out and clean that carpet like in the morning. If the mother-in-law wasn't coming, another six months will be just fine. So I think it's both. I think in, I think you are appealing to two different things there. And once again, it's kind of the market that you're going after. If they've got pets in that, I think you know, you're know you always talking about trying that embarrassment situation. And I think you're going in the, with that one in a little different uh, venue. In other words, we don't want to be scaring her about it, but we want to just remember that it is a, a very unhealthy situation. And once again appealing to her maternal instinct that, you know, we need to take care of our family and take care of our environment. What do women think about, you know, things like spiders, snakes, germs, dirt? Do they kind of think of them all in the same category or some are worse than others? Well, I, I would think that, you know, germs, because they're, they're hidden, <laughs> it's not as bad as a as a snake crawling through the house. Okay. And, you know, so I think it's a little bit different, but I think we're always trying to talk about the germs and everything, but we're trying to put it in a different uh, venue, I guess we'd say. We don't want to really be scaring them, you know, as, as a lot of the guys are always out there putting pictures of dust mites in, and I think the dust mites, you know, that doesn't make a woman say, gee, I want somebody to come out here and clean my carpet. I think what we're always trying to figure out is how do we get that woman to understand that when we come to her house, we're going to be creating this beautiful environment. It's not about removing the dirt. It's just bringing it back to what it was or making it look like one of those house beautiful uh, magazine ads that they see. You know, with your experience working with carpet mills and manufacturers of other types of flooring, does, does the same person buy the hardwood floor, buy the ceramic tile floor, buy the carpet, and by the maintenance services for those flooring materials, or is it different? Oh, I'd say it's all the same person. It's okay. still going to be that woman who's probably 45 years old, has a home. You know, what's kind of interesting, too, is the way it's changed. If you go back, like, I think 15 years ago, single women were responsible for buying, like, 9% of the homes out there as a single woman. Today, they're responsible for buying 21% of it. So, and men have stayed the same. They bought 10% back then and 10% now. So you still have the same woman who's always trying to beautify her home. If Think about it. If it was up to us, how often would we replace the carpet or the sofa? Once we get a comfy sofa or comfy chair, it's kind of like that chair you used to see in Fraser's dad, you know, with the duct tape on it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, he would never replace that. But, yet, you know, a woman walked in and would be so embarrassed. So, I mean, if it wasn't for women, we'd, we'd all be looking for new jobs. 
What's the average time between flooring replacements and what's the motivating factor? Does the hardwood wear out? Does the carpet, you know, is it threadbare? I would say that the biggest thing, and the statistics that I've heard from, I think, DuPont a few years ago said in residential carpet, I think it's about once every 12.2 years. And let's face it, we know that nylon or anything else is not going to wear out. We know that a hardwood floor is not going to wear out, but we know that styles change. If you walk into somebody's home and they got an avocado shag, if it was nylon, it's probably doing pretty good. But let's face it, it's tough to match avocado, even though back in the 80s, we would match our appliances to the carpet. You know, you had that harvest gold, you had avocado, you had rust, really good-looking stuff. So I think it's a matter of fashion is really what it comes down to. What what types of words would you suggest or vocabulary would you use in advertising or on websites to help create this uh, feeling that, you know, the, the buyers want? Well, I think what you're looking at is that you've got to have, you've got to paint visual images. Okay. In other words, we tend to, men, of course, as we want to get right down and get the fewest words to get things done, we're looking for those bullet points again. We've got to put visual images words or, or painting a story if you want to say that in other words if you're going to say something you know you're going to deodorize it well that sounds like you're you know you're doing something that's really hard i think what we're trying to look at is if we're going to have work done we're going to have carpet that smells baby fresh clean or the scent of pine mountain smells or something that actually is giving it giving it something that can tangibilize it a little bit better you're always looking for, I call them Hallmark words. You know, Hallmark, if you ever watch a Hallmark TV show, have you ever noticed that you've got to have at least three boxes of tissues with you? Because you know the TV show is going to make you cry by some time through there. If you're looking for the types of things that you want to advertise, look at what Hallmark does, and they have those warm, fuzzy words. They don't have hard words like stainless steel. We don't use words like acid, even though we say we're going to use an acid rinse. To the average consumer, they're thinking we're going to eat holes in their carpet. We need to say things like we're going to neutralize and soften it and bring those types of pictures into it. What about specialization? You know, what about an ad in the yellow pages that said only rich customers wanted? <laughs> well, you know, I saw something the other day. There was one of the bulletin boards. They were, they were talking about the guy. He said he just had his new truck done, and he had the, had the words all up on there. And it actually said by appointment only, and then it had, or no, I'm sorry, he said, by referral only, and then it had his phone number below it. So all the other guys are picking on him saying, well, why would you put your phone number on there if you could only get you because somebody referred you? So I, I thought that was kind of interesting that he put it through there. But when you're looking at specialization in general, I, I like to go back to, if you think about in, about 1960, when we were really starting to get into carpet cleaning back then, because, you know, carpets were just beginning to be wall-to-wall. -wall. Before then, we were all service businesses. And ever, we would go into a home, and you would, you would do everything that the customer required. Hard services, bathrooms, the whole works. And then all of a sudden, we became carpet specialists. And we went away from all of those things and said, we don't do that. Today, because of time restrictions, we are once again going to be generalists. When we go into a home, especially if we've gotten this customer to trust us, we now should be providing as many services as possible because that customer who's a woman had to come home from work. So if you can do an extra service while you're there, she's going to like it, it's going to be more profitable, and cost is not going to be a factor. So I think a generalist today is much better than a specialist. Bill, I have a question. I, I, the yellow pages still confuses me. I'm not sure how many different yellow pages are out there. Which one should... You know, should uh, disaster restoration, carpet cleaning, um, indoor environmentalists, which one should they be in? I'm, I'm not, I'm not well, sure how I, to answer that question. I, I would say, and this is going to sound like a silly answer, but the one that the customer uses, and that makes it tough. What's really upsetting is that I'd say in an average city, you probably have uh, half a dozen different books. And you have specialized books that will be anything from senior citizen books to alternative lifestyle books to... You name it, but what's really bothersome is that you go and spend a couple thousand dollars, put an ad in the phone book, and then you actually, when the customer's calling in, we never ask them, say, well, did you get us from the yellow pages? Because they think they're all the yellow pages. We need to know which yellow pages. 
So when we say, did you call us from the yellow page, it's going to say yes. Can you tell us what page number that ad is on? And that actually tells us which book we're in. But if I was choosing a book, I would say, okay, what is still the book that comes back to the phone company, Ma Bell, whatever it's going to be at this point, because that still seems to be the book that's delivered the best. In other words, the rest of the books don't always get delivered because a phone has been put in. So I think we need to go back to the one that has the best coverage, which still tends to be your core book in the area. What about some tips for controlling the sales process? Uh, you know, like when, when we're in the home and we're talking to the consumer, how do we, what words do we use to ask her in a polite way to add on these additional services? You know, how, well, how do I think, we, go ahead. Go ahead. How do we do that? Well, I think part of it is we shouldn't be adding on any additional services until we actually have performed some work. In other words, when a guy comes in there and he's going to walk in and he's going to measure up the carpet uh, and he's going to say, okay, it's going to be this much for cleaning and would you like it scotch guard and would you like it deodorized and would you like this and would you like this, first off, she wants to see if you can actually do the first thing she called you for. So we always like to go in there. And number one is walking through the home with the customer is giving a lot of listening signals. I'm sure, I'm sure neither one of you guys have ever had your wife say to you, you're not listening to me. <laughs> 10 minutes ago <laughs> yeah okay <all> right. <laughs> of course i am but get out of the way of the tv because espn's coming on <laughs> you know but as you're as you're going through there and you're walking through the home with the customer number one we want them to talk as much as possible because we want to develop this trust factor and a lot of that started at the front door you know there's a term that we use today called thin slicing which basically comes from a book uh blink by Mac malcolm gladwell and what he says is that today people are making judgments on you within probably sometimes 10 seconds. So if we, when we walk in, we've got to be, of course, open to the customer. We've got to look trustworthy. And, of course, that gets down to how we look, how our truck looks. But a lot of it gets down to how we talk to the customer. In other words, we have to realize that women talk differently than men do. They're always looking at your face for facial signals. Men tend to look down or look away, or women are always looking directly at your face and listening to the tone of your voice. So we're, de we're developing the trust right there. If we walk through the house and it's asking the customer to show us any concerns we have, then we, go home, we make sure that we are making notations, and even if she says, well, I think I've got a spot over here, something as simple as putting a post-it note down on the spot to just say, I want to remember to pay special attention here. Now as we've gone back through there and we developed the trust factor, we love to come through and, and as we're setting up our hoses, test a small area that's usually going to be the most soiled area, say like the family room or the kitchen. And when we do that, we'll do that in what we call a magic square. And what that does now is shows the customer, she doesn't have to wait 45 minutes to see if this is going to be a good job. But when we clean it and we show it, she looks at it and, and then it's much easier to say, you know, to say, wow, it's great that it cleans up and you can say, well, that's because of the protector that was on there, the Scotch Guard or the Teflon. That's an easy slide into the sale. At that point, you may also talk about deodorizer if you've seen a pet or anything else that's in there. And once you've done something else, you may, you know, as you're going back to work, you may give her a package of brochures, just say, Mrs. Jones, here's some of the additional services that our company provides if you should need us at some point in time. Then when you go into the back of the house to start your work, she can be looking back through these. She may have something that says we clean upholstery. She may now, after she's seen you do some work, come back and say, you know, I noticed you clean upholstery. Would you be able to take a look at the sofa while you're here today? So we'd rather that they suggest these things without us coming in there and looking like we're trying to upsell with everything we've got. Bill, as marketing instructor in the John Don Strategies of Success class, which I would recommend uh, any listener really to go to whether you're in carpet cleaning or not because I think that there's just a tremendous amount of information there. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can I have one marketing secret that you teach in that class that's you know not generally done that you can give our listeners? One secret. Okay, that's, that's, as soon as you use the word secret, of course, everybody's ears perk up. Uh, I would have to say that when we go through there and actually – talk to people about the guarantees and the pictures. I think the pictures are very strong. When, when people develop their business cards, uh, they tend to put these business cards out and they're so boring 
that people look at them and slide them in their pocket and never see them. I think they need to make sure that they put a picture on there, whether it's them, whether it's a picture of their family. If you're dealing with pets, a picture of you and your, your dog, you'd be surprised how just tying that together gives people this warm and fuzzy feeling, especially if you're smiling in the picture. I think that every ad that you do, especially as you have a small business, you know, we're not talking about one of the big franchises, but if you're a small mom and pop, you want to continually build upon that, that they're getting that personalized service. So when they see your picture in the Yellow Pages or when they see it on a flyer or when they see it on your website, when you come to the door and they see you and they say, wow, you look like your picture, you know, even though you may slip a picture of Brad Pitt into your ad, when you're doing that, I think that just all of a sudden they feel trustworthy about you because they feel like they already know you. Bill, that's great. I, I It just makes me remember uh, I was at a class and uh, I was teaching in one area. Another guy was teaching in, in, in uh, the most memorable truck I ever have seen had the guy's picture on it. And he yeah. was smiling and he looked great and he had a nice truck where he did you know he did water damage or home inspections or it was home inspections actually and uh, i think that's a great piece of advice is there anything before we go that we that you'd like to add that we missed and well I, I would i would just say that one of the things that we're looking at it, at john don of course this is a shameless plug but we've developed new programs called myeasymarketing.com what we find is, and i was just doing a presentation yesterday and as i asked the class i said how many of you believe it's important to do a follow-up mailing to your customers? And I think everybody in the class raised their hand. I said, now, how many of you do a good job of that? And there was like two people out of 40 that raised their hand. Hmm. One of the things that we're developing is a whole series of marketing tools, postcards and that. But mostly what it is, it's a mailing service that's all web-based so that these people, as small business people, can actually get it done and get it done easily, and it's all web-based. So I think... That's one of the things we're trying to accomplish is help the small guy be able to do the same things that a big company like a Stanley Steamer does without getting into a lot of work. And that's at myeasymarketing.com? Yes. Yes. Okay. And it's not, it is not live yet. should be in a couple of weeks. But if they go to that website, they can actually click on it and they can leave their email. As soon as it gets live in a few weeks, they'll be able to participate in it. Bill, you did a wonderful job. Actually, I've got another two pages of questions, including carpet chemistry and and so on and so forth. We're going to have to try to get you back soon on on another show and talk to you some more about some of the other areas of expertise that you have. In in the meantime, is there a, a way listeners can contact you in the meantime, Bill? Yes, I would say the easiest way, of course, is by email. And my email is easy to remember. It's Billy, B I L L Y, at johndon.com and then my cell phone would be 317-201-7670 very good well we really appreciate you joining us today on IAQ Radio and uh, hope to have you back in the future we'll maybe get a little more into some of the science of the carpet cleaning industry with you my pleasure guys and thanks for inviting me thanks Bob have a great week. Close your eyes, girl. Look inside, girl. Let the sound take you away. Okay, we have a tech question I just wanted to uh, take a quick stab at here. After last week's show, we have a site on the iaqradio.com website for questions we've got one uh, from one of our listeners saying that he's setting up a tv game room in the basement of a home that was built in the 1920s here in pittsburgh pennsylvania and it's uh carpeted the walls have wood paneling there's some evidence of water damage on some of the furniture and he suspects there's some mold growth and um also adds that it's going to be difficult to get outdoor ventilation in here I, this is a, a very common problem in, in the entire Northeast, and there are numerous good resources, one being the um, buildingscience.com site. That's Joe Steebrook's site, www.buildingscience.com, where you can get some information on finishing basements. The question would have to be a little more detailed for us to get into more uh 
more detailed answers with respect to what type of foundation do you have? Do you have obvious water leakage in the, uh, you know, coming from the walls, et cetera? Cliff, I think you had a few things to add as well. Yeah, I did as well. I think what I would do first of all is um, I would start with inspection. Was it wet or is it wet? And I think that's the question. Was there some previous water damage that happened sometime in the past, or is this a chronic ongoing problem? You really need to stop the moisture. And if you can't stop it, then you need to reroute it. Because if moisture is going to continue coming in, you're going to have an ongoing problem. Dehumidifiers are really important, and particularly in this area in the Northeast, I've got a dehumidifier in my basement and would suggest that most people that have a basement in this uh, geographical area have one as well. The second thing is you really need to separate these vulnerable materials from water. You know, having water on cement is one thing. Having water on wood, having water on paper, having water on textiles is another. And, you know, hopefully we've given you some information and some sites that you can go to and, uh, you know, let us know how it works out. Or if you need further information, just ask us another question. Sure, we're always happy to try and help. If you can send in a little more detail on the specifics, we'll be happy to. But I think Cliff has given you some great start on uh you know how to start looking at it and if worse comes to worse then you've got to get somebody in there that understands building sciences and can help you figure out where that moisture problem is coming from let's face it we don't have mold problems we have moisture problems all right next segment on today's show is going to be a little bit of a commentary i've got uh quite a bit going on here in the iaqa world i'm currently on the board of directors and recently Mr. Bob Baker, our president, put out an urgent uh, news and call to action for the members of the Indoor Air Quality Association and uh, I've been asked to do a little commentary on it. Some, some listeners may be familiar with President Baker's recent email. It was called Urgent News and Calls to Action. If you're not familiar with the document, we can't get into the entire four-page document, but I'm going to summarize some of the concerns of the Indoor Air Quality Association, and we will post the entire document on the IAQ Radio website. The bottom line is that the unification of the Indoor Air Quality Association, the IAQ Council, and the IESO has been a very good thing for the industry. Three separate associations have unified their programs to help bring together members of the indoor air quality industry. The recent announcement by the IAQ Council that they intend to release page numbers of references from which their certification exams are taken to anyone visiting their website is a bad idea. This action will devalue the certifications of members And the only reason we have been given for this action is that the IAQ Council is not certifying enough people to survive financially. The entire IAQA Board of Directors, in my opinion, and certainly my own reaction is that I stand behind Mr. Baker's email. So far, the members I have talked to or that have received the emails are overwhelmingly against this idea. Some of the comments that we've received are, I've worked hard to get my certification. Why should it be made so much easier for others? I paid a lot of money to go out and get a credible certification. Why would we lower the standards now? Business is slow for me too, but I haven't lowered my standards. This and many other comments have been coming back, and I want to make sure that the listeners have an opportunity to take a look at the letter and respond if they would like. I'd also like to emphasize that the Board of Directors of the Indoor Air Quality Association made every possible effort to avoid allowing things to get to this point. I understand members' concern and their confusion about why we can't work this out without getting to this point. The IAQ Council is proud to promote its independence, integrity, and credibility. I have been a big supporter and continue to be of the IAQ Council and their certification program. They have once again shown they are rightfully an independent certifying organization, and IAQA has no ability or desire to change that. This board member is concerned that by releasing information in the manner proposed, our members and the members of the industry at large will decide that the credibility and integrity of the council has been compromised. I hope that doesn't happen. If we get enough members to support the... uh, 
Mr. Baker's email. It probably won't. We'll see where it goes from here, Cliff. Okay, Joe. Well, I've got a pet peeve this week as well. And uh, there is an alert which came out from the ISSA, which is the International Sanitary Supply Association. This is important to anyone whose firm utilizes antimicrobials. The Environmental Protection Agency continues to move forward with its contemplated revisions to its worker training and certification regulations that would expand training and certification requirements of some sort to all occupational users of pesticides including but not limited to users of disinfectants, sanitizers, and other antimicrobial products in institutional, commercial, and industrial settings. As presently contemplated by the agency, it would require that all such workers not only receive training, but also be required to demonstrate competency by way of a test and certification process, presumably run by the government. Such training is likely to expand, for example, to all employees who provide cleaning services in hospitals, office buildings, schools, daycare centers, and so on. The International Sanitary Supply Association has opposed this contemplated EPA training requirement because it would be redundant of current training currently required by OSHA and OSHA's hazard communication standard. We believe the extensive and comprehensive nature of the existing OSHA training requirements have served well to protect the safety and health of cleaning service providers and others who regularly apply antimicrobial products as part of their job. It's critical that potentially impacted companies weigh in on this issue. We therefore urge you to participate in this call and have your customers call in as well to persuade the EPA not to go forward with this proposal. Informations in regards to participating in this call are already up on our website at iaq.com. All right. Thank you, Cliff. CJ, do we have an intro for our next guest, our regular? Oh, yeah. You got a kitten up a tree, well, come to me, and I'll see it makes it on the front page. The mayor's mother broke a toe, they gotta know, stop the press, it's the mass, it's a scandal of the age, hell, it's big news, another shock. Welcome, Steve. Are you with us? Steve Sauer. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> All right. Radio Joe, how are you doing? I'm good, Steve. Steve Sauer hey, of IE hey, Connections is with us here this week. Steve, I left my notes somewhere else, so help me. No, actually, I we want to uh, discuss a few of the topics that you had in last month's edition and then talk about what's coming up. The first one that really caught my attention, Steve, was the cover story on the... Uh, duct cleaner or air systems cleaner who fell i think it was at a uh, federal facility and unfortunately fell to his death um have you well, been this able- was, it was actually just a veterans hospital in cleveland okay yeah. What were you able VA to, medical center there. It seemed like you weren't able to get as much information as you would have liked on that one. As, you know, there was a lot of information that came out early on, or at least yeah. a few news reports, and then it seemed like everything kind of died down. What's going on there, Steve? Well, yeah, it was a bit of an effort to get the, the little bit of information that I was able to get. It took uh, a month for the Cleveland Police Department to fulfill my request to send me their police report. And the company involved, uh, the employer of the, you know, the guy who uh, fell to his death, um, they didn't have anything to add when we contacted them. You know, we didn't pressure them for that or anything. But uh, there is um, another investigation going on, and that's by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or as we know them, OSHA. And that one hasn't that uh, hasn't concluded yet. There was an OSHA spokesperson who's been talking with me. You know, really helpful as far as that's concerned. But uh, I was originally told that their investigation was going to be concluded within, like, that first month. But then they later revised, revised that timeline and, you know, telling me to check again in, like, two, three months or something, which is, you know, really a testament to the complexity and the uniqueness of the case. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when it first came out, there was an, a couple of newspaper articles, and they had reported he had fallen down a vertical shaft and landed on his head and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Were you not, you didn't have any of that information in the article, so I assume you were not able to confirm that. Not at the time, but since that article came out, I did get a copy of that police report, and it says that uh, the victim, Jason M. Witt, 
was walking across a duct to exit for lunch when he fell from the sixth floor to the second floor per urgent care staff. This is an exact quote. Jason struck his head a few times as he fell and landed face down on the second floor. Jason was rushed to urgent care where doctors worked on him, at which time he expired at 10.20 p.m. Wow, that's a shame. There's going to be a real push for fall protection in that industry, I can see. Yeah. yeah. All right, what else did we have last month that was of interest? I recall uh, you always have interesting stuff from Dr. Harriet Burge. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Burge, um, you know, was talking about uh, allergens and whether you, whether you really need to test for them. And she broke it down to, like, cat and dog allergens, which, you know, are kind of ubiquitous. Even if you don't even have cat and dog allergens, uh, cats and dogs in your home, the allergens will still probably be there because they're so easily carried from person to person, place to place. So, uh, you know, she said, like, uh, mice and rat cockroaches it, it would be good to test for those um and then she even goes on to you know uh talk about like how you can collect dust uh, samples to find that she says kitchen dust is the best um use filter cassettes or vacuum cleaners as long as you use a fresh bag the vacuum cleaners are a good idea um and then she gets into fungal allergens which is probably the one that you're most interested in um there she said like that uh, it's generally not useful to measure fungal allergens in investigating situations where the aim is finding sources and conducting remediation. Uh, she said you can usually see fungal growth, uh, but she doesn't really recommend collecting samples for fungal allergen analysis except under specific unusual circumstances. Those are her words, yeah. I'll tell you, she must drive her employer crazy because uh, yeah, she her holds her ground. <laughs> you got to love Dr. Birch. She yeah. holds her ground. Don't sample unless you've got a hypothesis that you're trying to prove or disprove. And uh, if you've got visible mold that uh, you really don't have to sample it, oftentimes she will say. And that's uh, I've got to give her credit, Steve. What else did we have last month that was of interest i recall um jeff may's article that that one caught my eye yeah um well he's uh he's writing in there about multiple chemical sensitivity and uh you know i think what's particularly interesting about that is his perspective he uh you know investigates mold odor moisture and ieq problems in buildings and he's an author or co-author of several books on the subject but, uh, you know, where he's really coming from, he himself, uh, you know, has had his ups and downs with his own case of uh, multiple chemi- chemical sensitivity, which, uh, you know, comes out in his article. You can see that. I was surprised to see that, Cliff. We had had uh, Jeff on as a guest and really didn't get into that subject, weren't even aware that he had uh, had the problem himself. And I'm curious to bring him back now and ask if uh, he thinks it's helped him in his uh, investigations, actually having gone through the, uh, you know, gone, actually having had the same problem as uh, many of his clients. What do we have coming up uh, in the next edition? Uh, the next one, the June one, um, the, uh, the front page story is actually going to be on the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. Uh, they have a their first certification coming out. Um, you know, they've been a membership organization for, uh, you know, just going on a century, I guess. And uh, so this will be the first time that they're ever offering a certification of their own. And this one's called the Healthcare Facility Design Professional. Um, they have 40 people who are signed up uh, so far to take uh, the course in June. Actually, it's, uh, I'm not sure if there's a course, but um, take the exam. Mm-hmm. It's going to debut at the organization's annual meeting in Long Beach, California. And then uh, the exam is going to be offered throughout the U.S. and Canada starting in the fall and eventually elsewhere in the world sometime after that. They say that it's uh, in response to a market demand that they identified in some market research that they conducted a couple of years ago. And, um, and uh, this is just the first of uh, you know, several specialized certifications that are going to follow. Steve, who's going to issue the paper on this? Is the organization going to do it itself? Is ASHRAE going to do it itself? Or are they going to go to a third party? Uh, they do have a third party um, who's doing it. Uh, it's See, so they came up with the exam with the American Hospital Association. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they provided a lot of the content and, uh, and stuff like that for it because they offer certifications themselves. Um, 
sort of for maintenance and operations personnel for healthcare facilities, and uh, they're using the same um, third-party people that uh, administer that exam. You know, I want to just go back in history a little bit and compliment your publication on this point and counterpoint that was in the magazine between uh, John Banta and Pete Consigli under, you know, on the subject of using IEPs in water damage situations and when it would be appropriate and when it wouldn't. And I think they both did a nice job in terms of, you know, outlining their individual views. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh... – and they both spent a lot of time, uh, you know, working on that article and everything. Would listeners be able to find those in your archive on ieconnections.com? Um, eventually, I think that they are going to go up. Um, we uh, we are a little bit behind right now, and that's my fault. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> but, Steve. Uh, but yeah. Hey, by the I way, think... I noticed you've you've been a guest before. You, uh, you you didn't get caught by the acronym police, huh? I did at one point. <laughs> I got a citation. I paid it. You paid it now? All right, great. Yeah. What else do we have coming up in June? I, I know that ASHRAE, you had kind of previewed that here in May, and that looks like it should be an interesting development. They've got three or four uh, programs I think they're looking at starting, but uh, what else is coming up? Well, we held off uh, publication for a week, and it was kind of um, – you know, to see if anything would happen in Florida uh, regarding the mold bill that's been down there. It was passed um, right by our original deadline. It was passed by the uh, the Florida legislature, both of them, and so it should for now proceed to the governor. And we just, you know, waited to see if the governor would get it and he would act on it and all that sort of stuff. But uh, so far there's been no action on it. Um, so I don't know. We, at least we do have a story in there saying that. When... How long does the governor have? I mean, is there a certain number of days before he has to sign that? Well, yeah, the uh, the he does have 15 days to put his uh, signature on a bill or veto it, uh, or else it automatically becomes law. But that uh, 15 days, as far as I know, starts um, when he receives the bill. And so the thing is that uh, on the during the last week of the legislative session in May. They passed, uh, you know, a whole bunch of bills, you know, probably talking about dozens, if not hundreds. Um, and, yeah, so it's like they all just sort of come to him a bit by, you know, piece by piece and stuff like that. So as far as I know, he hasn't received it yet. But uh, that 15-day clock will start counting down when he does. As soon as he receives it, he's got 15 days. And he... That's a heavy workload. What's the be- <laughs> What's the betting man thinking here? Uh, the... Uh, the word on the street is that uh, you know it's gonna pat it, that he's gonna sign it into law, um, and that is a bit of a concern because you know a couple of years ago they uh, we were in this situation and uh, you know Jeb Bush was governor at the time and they thought that he was going to sign a thing and he ended up vetoing it and uh, you know given his reasons and everything why he vetoed it but you know that was the case. This time we have a source from the Indoor Air Quality Association saying that there's little doubt that bill's going to be signed into law so you know still we'll have to see <laughs> i wonder if they have odds in vegas on this <laughs> i don't know <laughs> all right steve what I'll else find out about atlantic city next week on i'm on vacation uh, okay all right what <laughs> else uh do we have coming up uh you're probably going to be a little late i guess you've got your june edition pretty much out you won't be able to have anything on the uh, IAQA, IAQ Council mess here, but... Um... Yeah, that I was really blindsided on. The uh, the call to action from Bob Baker was the first, uh, you know, public word about that, and it came out about three hours past my deadline for all uh... in the June issue. So, uh, you know, there's that. I'm, I ain't going to be able to cover that in the June issue. No, but you can comment on it now. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Okay, no comment. Okay. I figured I'd ask it. He's learned Cliff, that is one. This, is this the show where I call up and talk about sex? Is that what I hear? <laughs> That's the one. Let's see. I've got a question up here. I heard in the news that the U.S. copy... Uh, the, the U.S. copies the hard disk of each laptop at the airport. Is that true? Based on my, based upon my personal experience traveling internationally and domestically, it is not true. Except under, except under um, 
extraordinary circumstances. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you. All right. One more. One more, Steve. We've got time for one more. What's, what else is coming up next month? Um, there was a standard that passed uh, from the, um, uh, what's ACCA? Air Conditioning Contractors of America. It uh, deals with indoor air quality. We have a story on that, and uh, I absolutely forget the details. Of that. <laughs> the... Is that the uh, ACK? You say ACK? ACK? Uh-oh. Yeah, I might ACA. get myself in trouble there. I don't right, know. yeah. Uh, so the Air Conditioning Contractors Association, is that the 180P? I know that was out. It came back out for a second review, I believe. Uh, yeah, this is a separate one. This this is one that's actually been uh, approved by ANSI. Uh, uh, oh, well, there's another acronym. <laughs> there's another one. They'll get you <laughs> seen. Oh, 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 okay. oh, no. <laughs> Another citation. The right. ANSI would be the American National Standards Institute for you listeners at home. All right. You're getting some points now on this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're going to rescind my license. I know it. Sooner or later. Let's check here and see. Uh, I think I've got a caller on maybe. Scooter. Scooter, you have a question for Steve or any of us? We're just kind of roundtabling it now. I guess not. How do we say that name? Scooter. I don't know. Scooter. Hello. Okay, we understand. Uh, we got a bunch Stage of stage fright. Yeah. Scooter, scooter, do. That's Where a... are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, we we always appreciate you coming on the show and and keeping us up to date on what's happening in uh, news. And uh, we'll look Thank forward to know. having you back in what two weeks? Uh, when's the vacation over? Uh, it'll be over next week, and that's when I start getting on the phone to uh, Charlie Wiles and all those good people. Uh, I think we'll get this straightened out before then. Let's I hope, hope so. Uh, let's hope so. I do believe, uh, you know. It'll be less work for me to ponder when I get back. <laughs> uh, it's been a good, this is this has been a very good, uh, a very good uh, unification. It's been a good thing for the industry. It would be a shame to see uh, anything go wrong with it. I think uh, the thing that happened was important that, um Mr. Baker and the board decided let's let the membership uh, have their say and uh, listen to what the membership says and then take it from there. So we've got uh, another question about gas prices. Hey, gas prices are – Steve, what do you think about those gas prices? Although <laughs> before I tell you where the gentleman's calling from, what do you think about gas prices here in the United States? That's another one of those no-comment things. Uh, I, uh, I don't drive. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're not a big driver. Yeah. You know, what What was interesting is last week is uh, our gra- our guest, Craig Kersemeyer, a pretty good-sized contractor up in Wisconsin uh, who's really done a lot of greening in his business, actually bought a huge vehicle that's biodiesel uh, capable and, you know, was talking about using it. And so, yeah. Actually, here, actually here's, a di- here's a dig to know about, about diesel engines. Originally, the diesel engine was supposed to run on peanut oil. Really? Yeah, originally peanut oil, not uh, not a petroleum-based oil. Just a, what if you have a peanut allergy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just don't want to be behind one then. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you can also run them on uh, vegetable oil. They call it SVO, straight vegetable oil, and biodiesel. Uh, comes from any number of sources, the most common being vegetable oil, which has undergone a chemical reaction to uh, remove the glycerin content. Anyway, back to you, Joe. Thank you, CJ. All right. Well, this has been uh, another great addition. I want you to stick around, though, for a moment. I'm going to do the uh, little closeout we do, but then we have a special closing for today's show for Memorial Day. Cliff Slotnick would like to say a few words. But before uh, before that, I'd like to say thanks first to my co-host, Cliff Slotnick. It's always a pleasure, uh, To the CJ, the cyber jockey. It's always a good time on IQ to, Radio. Uh, thank you, sir. To Bill Yaden for joining us. And, of course, to Steve Sauer from the Indoor Environment Connections. Watch out for those acronym police. Yes, sir. And, uh, of course, thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We still got quite a few on the line here, and they're going to hang in there hopefully for just another moment. Please come back and join us next Friday for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. But before you go, I'm going to turn it over to Cliff. Thanks, Joe. Monday is Memorial Day. Memorial Day represents one day of national awareness and reverence honoring those Americans who died while defending our nation and its values. 
To help re-educate and remind Americans of the true meaning of Memorial Day, the National Moment of Remembrance resolution was passed on December 2000, which asks that on Memorial Day at 3 p.m. local time for all Americans, that we voluntarily and informally observe in our own way a moment of remembrance and respect, pausing from whatever we are doing for a moment of silence or listening to taps. has been another IAQ Radio production. 